So what makes a great producer? I don't have the answer. I don't think in all of our attempts at No Film School to answer it, we've figured it out entirely. I don't think in years of making feature films, the industry has figured it out. A producer is such a big topic. But today, in this episode of the No Film School podcast, I speak to two producers, Johnny Blitzstein and Julie Christius, who have a production company called Tandem and are releasing a feature called Black Bear. Black Bear was at Sundance 2020. It's out now in limited theatrical and streaming everywhere. Black Bear stars Aubrey Plaza. It was written and directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. It's a really interesting movie. And it does a lot of unconventional things with plot and character. How do you produce a movie like this? It's unconventional. It does star Aubrey Plaza, but there are so many question marks. Where do you find the funding? How do you handle the marketing? How do you put the pieces all together? One of the things we talk about a lot in this episode is how a producer has to put together puzzles within puzzles. It's almost hard to understand or grasp the entire process, but we go through from soup to nuts, how Johnny and Julie produced Black Bear, what it took and where they struggled, where they succeeded and where they got lucky. And it's a very human, fun story. And along the way, there's some really good insight and tips into what the process looks like, how peeling back the layers shows you a little bit about what goes into getting a movie made. So much always comes down to believing in the project at its core. And I think you'll find the more on the No Film School podcast, we talk to independent filmmakers, the more we reiterate and we relearn that a passion for the core behind the project is what drives everybody to the ends of the earth to get it done. Without that, without believing in that, there's just no way to do it. There's no way to follow through. So enjoy this podcast interview with Johnny and Julie about Tandem, about Black Bear, about Sundance, and just about how hard it is to produce movies. Spoiler alert, it's very hard. And check back after the podcast for a wrap up and I'll contextualize a little bit of my experience with Black Bear as well. Johnny, you received the script for Black Bear in late mm -hmm. 2018. That's right. As we talked about producing as a process, this is uh, quite, quite a long one. But I'm really curious how the script first came to you and what made it stand out to both of you initially. So the script came to us, I will say, fully formed. Lawrence is an incredibly detailed writer. And when Julie and I looked at the script we felt that it felt like a play that clearly, I, I remember a conversation we had where I said, this feels like a New York playwright wrote this um, and has jumped over to screenwriting because the character development and the conflicts between every character moving around in those big scenes was so intense and intricately orchestrated. Um, we felt that the script had classical elements that felt like uh, the best of the best European cinema that we love, uh, but was distinctly American in the subject matter and how it was dealing with reality. Um, we loved the, the um, themes and the, the fact that it was scratching at something 
that needed to be itched in culture around gender roles, around how men treat women in these dynamics and how women treat each other. And also the, the sacrifices that we make as artists in trying to create something beautiful and the pain that that causes our partners, everyone in our lives, you know, even as producers for Julie and I, you know, we have to leave our families uh, and friends to go off to set and be disappeared for, for weeks and weeks at a time. And all of those strains um, affect everyone on set. And so those things really spoke to us and were, were loud and, and really beautiful. And, and um, though I didn't know um, who Lawrence was at the time, we soon met with him and Lawrence and I realized we had overlapped in the Mumblecore world and had various you know, friends and, and had both worked in, in the East Village and the theater world. Um, but it, it was sort of a, an amazing match because he's so talented and it was, um, we were lucky to have been connected. How was the script submitted to you? It came through a personal connection. So it wasn't a formal submission to Tandem Pictures. It was, you know, another another director friend that knew um, Lawrence and I think happened to be at a party with Sophia. And Sophia said, oh, I, I know I've heard I've heard of of uh, Julie and Johnny. Let's let's send them the script. Um, and it was sort of as simple as that. I, I will say I'd love to say something about Lawrence here, because as um, a woman, I'm I'm really sensitive and very attuned to scripts that, you know, ha- say things like this is all about female empowerment. And then I read them and there's nothing empowering about the script. Um, you know, either a woman is being abused the whole time and then right at the <laughs> end she gets the upper hand or they're naked the whole time or covered in blood the whole time. But look at her. She's so clever. She's figuring out how to do all these things in these heart, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't find that empowering. What I thought was tremendous about this script was not only the quality of the writing, which was, as Johnny said, just so beautifully executed, my goodness. Um, But that when I went to meet Lawrence and I asked him about, you know, the intimacy between his characters and his thoughts on, gender relationships and power dynamics, especially in relationships where um, artists were working together. He was so transparent and so honest and honest, not only about his characters, but about himself and his fears as to how he may have contributed to the conversation about women, not always in a positive way. And when we left that you know, little cafe, I, I just turned to Johnny and I was like, we've, we've got to work with this guy. He was so thoughtful and so honest. You just, um, you, you can't beat that. Yeah. It's a, um, I saw it at Sundance. Uh, it's a great movie. It, it's definitely going to take you somewhere you're not expecting it. I can't imagine how hard it is to navigate media and uh advertising for Hmm. this kind of film um because how do you sell it you know it's i mean obviously there's some there's some clear ways aubrey plaza's in it she's amazing um you can you can talk about mystery elements uh but there's so much going on there and you have to see it to see it unfold really uh but i I was struck when I interviewed uh, Lawrence at Sundance in for the for the website for No Film School. We actually did it in the back of an Uber, which was a fun experience. I remember that. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> uh, 
and he was awesome. He's great. And uh, we had a lot of fun talking about the film and about how truth and life and relationships, this movie has weirdly autobiographical elements. It's very human. It's very personal. And I found the boundaries. It's about the boundaries between work and life and where that gets confusing and sometimes ugly. And he really had to open up himself and his own relationship to do it. And so I can see how it it grabbed you, but because it's so unique and it obviously doesn't check any box in the marketplace, how do you approach it? Like we're going to, you know, we're going to finance this. We're going to push it through. We're going to get it made. Um, How hard is it to go from, we love it to we're getting it made. We're on set. Right. It's hard. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's hard. straight up straight up but, <laughs> but beyond that the first part was i mean we did say to each other how are we going to sell this thing it wasn't unconscious for us you know we've we've made now an, enough films to know that if we don't ask the question of who is watching this who is buying this um and how are they getting it out to the viewing public you know we're not doing you know, per- perhaps the largest part of our job and the most important part of our job but there was something again so exceptional about this movie and we knew that you know, we're indie film producers so we could do this at a price um we could think strategically about how we could go into a production that you know managed to retain a really high production value and also a really fantastic cast if we could set Lawrence up to fulfill the vision that he had, that there would be an audience for it. I think, again, this movie, it, this is a, is a different story than our you know, usual process because right. we didn't know, um, we, didn't, we didn't know how big the audience for this would be. And I will say when we got into Sundance and we saw the audience reaction at Sundance, and how positive the feedback overall was, we, I mean, I just felt like I could burst because I loved this project so much and I loved the team so much. It felt, you know, that that felt like the win just to see other people watch it and, and really take something from it. When you guys start, and you, you pointed out earlier, you start from a place of, you know, we want to make a movie that is speaks to us about some of the issues in the zeitgeist or that feels meaningful. And that's part of what makes a good producer. But you also spoke very clearly about how we need to be an audience. We need to know who's selling this. Like, this is the task. I don't think all audiences and filmmakers understand that even an indie producer like yourselves thinks about the marketplace because otherwise there's no where to take, there's no way to do this, right? It's not like you're just out there creating art for art's sake right now. <laughs> you have to find that balance. So maybe Johnny, you can speak a little bit to that aspect of this. Sure. You fell in love with this, but you, cause you have experience in branding. Um, and, and that's part of what you do at Tandem as well. You guys do. So tell me a, a little bit about striking the balance and getting the project you love to make sense from a financial standpoint. Sure. So I think something that Julie and I often talk about is that quality is quality. That's why when we look at scripts, we're not thinking about genre. 
Um, obviously, um, anyone in film sales knows that if you have a thriller and there's someone in the trailer running with a knife and screaming at the top of their lungs, that that movie is in a certain bucket that's in a horror bucket, or that movie that has uh, a huge car chase is in the action movie bucket and is worth more on, on in international sales and, and those types of arenas. But that's not how we're thinking about it. I think we look at quality and understand that if the writing is strong, if there's a great team of, of really talented creatives, if we can get a cast who are going to love and be excited and inspired by the project, that if there's that quality element there, that it will be commercial. And we knew that Black Bear was a uh, you know, in that thriller drama, psychodrama, middle genre area. But we understood that this film had something important to say, as as we, which we already touched on. But I think that um, it it's a certain kind of movie where we could look at the marketplace and say, there's comps out there. This movie feels like other movies that maybe didn't make the most money in the entire world, but they were films that are remembered, that people still talk about, that film students have the criterion editions of. Those were things where we said, this this movie has potential to be a movie that that we want to watch more than once. And that that really keeps us going when we're looking at scripts. Our filmmaker was ready to take risks. And that's something about making independent film that we can do in a different way than the studios can do. We can take a really big swing on a filmmaker like Lawrence, who had written a bunch of studio stuff, who wrote Black Bear to shake himself out of that and get back yeah. to the core of who he is as a writer and who was, you know, took everything, all of his experience from being an actor too and doing all of that mumblecore work to say, I'm going to, I'm going to get in there with the actors. I'm going to I'm going to set this team up to win. It's tricky material, but I'm going to put myself on the line and I'm not going to let you fall on your face and I really believe in my heart that's why, you know, Aubrey took the leap and she really believes in Laurie, uh, Larry and believed in this in this script and the same with Chris and Sarah and all of our fabulous um actors that were in this movie. Everyone came with a sense of adventure and a, and a sense of wanting to discover something because Lawrence gave them the freedom to also discover something while we were all together. And that, I think that's really special and unique about independent film. How did you get Aubrey Plaza onto this project? And was that a I, I imagine a sort of a critical step in in the journey from script to shooting day one. <laughs> well, Larry and Aubrey knew each other um, and had, I think they mentioned in an interview, they had met at a party um, and they had mutual friends um, and ended up, you know, talking about the project together. And Aubrey actually helped name the film so that she was involved tangentially early on with Larry and the project's creation and inception. And I think they both were drawn to the, you know, the, Larry wrote the script and he talks about this extensively in interviews about how um, it, it was inspired by dreams he'd had um, and, and visions. And Aubrey was also inspired by some of those similar ideas. And both, you know, as Julie mentioned, Larry is, is married to Sophia Takal, who is a director creative. And Aubrey also has a longtime partner, Jeff Benna, and they are in a, in a creative, 
you know, working and also, you know, relationship, relationships. So the, the, those parallels for both Aubrey and Larry connected them um, and they felt a kinship around the script. And so um, we, you know, in the, in the process of putting the movie together and the financing and all those pieces, um, Aubrey was, you know, ready to get on board from, from the get-go um, because of that relationship and the, the love of the script and the idea that they shared. Right. Okay. So she was sort of baked into the creative process early on. And so that was part of what the project would always be. And you can always, you can't always tell when you're watching a movie, but now that you say it, it makes perfect sense. There's a lot of ways in which this feels personal to her also. So um, that, that definitely tracks with the experience of watching it. For sure. And you asked about timeline and the way that we got our production timeline was because Aubrey was available for five or six weeks across the summer of 2019. And it was extremely, um, you know, there was no there was no flexibility. It was just this is the time she is available. We might have a day at the top. We might have a day at the bottom. Um, and we said, okay, well, we are we are going to get this together so we can make the movie with Aubrey. And that became our target and that's what we ran towards how hard was it to get it done in the five or six weeks very hard (laughs) (laughs) yeah i would i would also add just to back up um without going too much into the financials we and in the sales process julie and i and larry had to work together and fight to get this movie financed and to close the the books on locking all the money to make this movie possible it's you know, as we all, to go back to the quality thing, we all saw that this is a movie that people would get inspired by with Aubrey in that role and and that we knew the themes and these ideas were there. But um, convincing investors and convincing folks who control the, the, you know, the checkbooks to make a movie like this happen is, is a long and arduous process, which also was one of the reasons that that timeline was so long to get from 2018 until, you know, mid 2019 to get to the Adirondacks and, and, you know, start rolling. Thank you for inserting that actually. And if you don't mind, can you both expand on it? Because that is one of the most interesting parts of this process that doesn't get enough airtime, in my opinion, which is you, you know, you talk about ideals, like a script you love and why you love it. And you talk about a production like we were about to, you know, what day one is like, what it's like shooting in six weeks, how hard that is. And yet what, what often gets left out is how do you get the money? And we talked a little bit about what about that in terms of understanding that there's got to be marketability, that maybe it's 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 like certain criterion collection films people will go back to. But how does that translate into the dollars you need to make a movie? And that part is, re- what is that battle? What was that battle like on this project? How did you win it to the extent that you did? Well, I know that I know that everyone keeps saying this was a long timeline, but you know, for me, it wasn't that long. <laughs> I've had projects that have taken much longer than you know a, a calendar year um, or less to get up and running. The other movie that we made in 2019, Johnny has actually. I, I think I'm spoiled, and you're a good luck charm because you know I read I read that script at the top of the year, and by March we were shooting, which was you know that when does that happen that you're able to put all the puzzle pieces together in in two months? Never, um, never at least for me. So I think with Black Bear we knew that we had to find the right partners and the the right partners who are willing to get behind our cast and Lawrence 
and our timeline and shooting in a remote location and knowing that there was, you know, live animals on on set and (laughs) all all sorts of things that, you know, for for um, equity investors and lenders and financial companies can can be tricky um, for independent films, because the more time you have, the more time they have to feel comfortable. The less time you have, the the you know the less comfortable everyone you mean is. The more shooting days, correct? Yes. Um, yeah. So it's so it can be very tricky, but but in the end, we were able to do the negotiations in. I think it took about four months between early spring and and summer. Um, and cross all the T's and dot all the I's to get to a place where we felt confident going into production. And as Johnny said, that's an art. That's an arduous time period because uh, you know, everyone's team gets involved, and the financing aspect is tough. The financing aspect is tough. It's hard. It's hard to find the financing, and then it's hard to close it. How do you find it? Well, our company doesn't have a, a fund. So each project is different. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times Johnny and I work with first-time filmmakers where we, we love working with first-time filmmakers and, and people from underrepresented um, communities and discovering, you know, new points of view. And, and with that type of filmmaker, we have to usually find equity partners um, that are interested in the subject matter or who we can show why this particular filmmaker is worth believing in. And then we'll take whatever equity we can get from that type of of partner and pair it with a strong um, tax credit or a loan against that tax credit if we need it up front. Um, And then there are other times where we can make a movie in a more stereotypical way where there can be upfront foreign sales and the tax credit and a small piece of equity um, Black Bear was done all through through one um, company, Productivity Media. So we we were able to you know have our our lending piece and our tax credit piece um, all through the same place. So each movie is different for us. And like you said, it's a puzzle. So that's a puzzle within the puzzle, really. Correct. Like that's that's one of producing. The, it's, probably... <laughs> right. it's like a labyrinth of puzzles, puzzles within puzzles or something. It's like an escape room. Isn't it amazing? Like even just scheduling a day, when you think about what's scheduling, we talked about line producing earlier, assistant directors, and this is even a subject, well, I don't want to spoil anything about the film itself, but the the puzzles within puzzles or labyrinths within labyrinths is part of what the movie is really, right? But that uh, just getting everybody to be able to show up to this place you're shooting at the right time is a challenge, <laughs> let alone making sure there's enough dollars from enough various sources. It's, yeah, it's quite yeah. a balancing act. Speaking to that, we, you know, we didn't have cell phone service for 99% of the time that we were there. And also Which Wi-Fi. Which loved, right? Yeah, they just was... loved not being able <laughs> to connect. Yeah. It was really just a respite from the world for everyone. It yeah. was wonderful. And without Wi-Fi working, I mean, we had like a router set up in this house that as soon as like five people showed up at the house, their iPhones and and mobile and and their laptops would connect to it and crash the Wi-Fi and it would be down for 20 hours. So essentially, 
um, we, you know, to get people to come to set on time, we, we had to at one point print uh, call sheets, which we just, no one thought we would have to do and actually go put them, slide them under people's doors um, for, for some of the crew to make sure people knew because we couldn't communicate. Um, the, 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 just the ability to communicate was, was completely hampered by the being so remote in the middle of the wilderness. That's, it's so weird. I had a short I produced in Death Valley where we had that exact same experience. Wow. And it was so bizarre printing out call sheets and sliding them under doors. And crazily enough on one day, the lead, he claims his call sheet blew away in the wind. So he didn't show up till very late. But it was just like hearing that story. I'm just thinking, oh, I've, I know what that's like. Again, fascinating in, in relation to the content of Black Bear itself, that there was something of this, we're all trapped together and we can't get access to our devices. And I might almost think some people on set thought you did that on purpose, right? Given the content of the script. Yeah, we had a lot of art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life, imitating art going around. Really? Uh, what a feedback set. loop. Yes. It was. <laughs> it was. It distorted reality. I think Aubrey in an interview mentioned that that because there is, you know, the makeup artist who is her actual makeup artist and then um, Lindsay Burge who played the makeup artist in the film, her, you know, Aubrey's own ability to parse uh, on the, since we're shooting all overnights and we were on such low sleep, like knowing who who was actually real and who was part of the story began to blur. And that that probably happened for all of us. The more you describe it, the more I feel like when you were all walking around that set at during certain shooting certain parts of it, it must have felt like, wait, what what are we in? Who's real? Who's not? What's part of the movie? What's what's going on here? Especially with no contact to the outside world and being remote. I can only imagine, but I think it probably helped the project to some extent. Would you agree or no? Agree? <laughs> Dead silence. Yeah, silence. I don't know. I just I remember that we had silence to have and laughter. Names. We'll leave it at that. We had we had names for the you know the the fake crew and the real crew making the movie, and we would say like story camera is is going to be here. And like operational camera is here. We had to use like different language to describe things so no one would get confused. I don't. I can't remember exactly what we called it, um, but it it everyone everything had like two names to distinguish the 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 film within the film and and our group who was filming it. Did anybody acting within the film as crew members start to sort of? side eye some of the real people making the film and be like, I think I'm going to grab that and use it or something like that. Did you ever find those kinds of moments happening? Our scripty totally did. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Jen Lee played our script supervisor and Wesley Swanson was our script supervisor. And I absolutely noticed her like watching Wesley <laughs> and trying to pick up little things that he, that he was doing that she could then, That's great. then use. Um, and I think Paola Lazaro did too, who played the first Daisy AD on set and um, Hilton Day was our first AD on set. And I think she would often let, you know, be looking at him when, when we weren't rolling to see what he was doing. What was he saying to the director? What was he bringing to the producers? Like what, what was, what was his physical behavior like? And I, and I think she did take, take some of that and, and use it. I mean, why not? I always feel that 
movies about filmmaking or, or about artists or about storytelling do well or work well because everybody making it is so intimate with that process and speaking your truth and speaking about a creative truth. It's not just because like, you know, they say Hollywood loves stories about Hollywood, but they're very accurate to a human experience. Even if you get past the surfaces, because it's closer to the stuff you're experiencing as an artist. Well, they say, write what you know. So, right. <laughs> so I want to talk about also just release and Sundance. Like we've, we've followed this project's lifespan and, and along the way, I feel like you've, taught us so much about what it is to produce indie film. Tandem is a unique company. You prioritize sustainability. Um, I want to know a little bit more about that and how that factors into set life um, with all the other things you had going on. But once you wrapped and once post was done, um, what was the goal? Was it like, well, Sundance or bust? I mean, what did you have? What was your plan? And, And how did it unfurl or not unfurl. Yeah, well, I will just say our line producer on this movie was also a producer, part of the producing team, um, Richard Bosner. And he did a, you know, a wonderful, wonderful job. And, you know, he had not only a lot to deal with, but one of the things that he also dealt with was Johnny and I saying, you know, we have a sustainable um, piece to our mission. And this is really important to us. And we want to not only talk with you about you know, the the budget that the project needs to be successful, but we want to also talk to you about using, uh, looking at those lines in a way that can be sustainable. And, you know, we can, we can help look at where there will be cost savings for that piece, but we do want you to look at the budget with that in mind as well. A lot of thought and, and planning went into that piece of it, for sure. And yeah, I think it was Sundance or Bust. I, well, we knew, I I will say this, Johnny, we knew that we didn't have, we didn't really have the time because we were wrapping um, in August. Uh, The, you know, the deadline for Sundance is, I think, October. I had asked if we could have an extension and they graciously gave us a very, you know, generous um, extension. But even still, you know, we submitted a film which, we say we would never do. We never want to submit unfinished work. And we knew that movie was unfinished. I mean, not only unfinished, like it didn't have a color correction or a sound design, but we weren't done editing. Um, And it was really scary there. It was really, really scary because we really put ourselves out on a limb. And I, we felt like, you know, the point of view of this movie was so unique And Sundance has such a great track record for championing unique artists. And and we thought that that it would be a really good fit um, for Lawrence and for Black Bear. But we also knew that... And he has history with Sundance a little. This was his first first film at Sundance. But he's been at Sundance, I think, as a performer a few times. I I remember he had some like... Yeah, he has some. He's he's been there, but I remember in interviewing him, he was thrilled to have his first feature there. Yeah. Um, did you have have, you, have either of you had any projects at Sundance before? Julie, Julie had many. Um, well, I don't know about many, but I, another movie that I made <laughs> that actually Christopher Abbott was in um, the second movie that that I ever produced under the tandem banner was called The Sleepwalker, um, that was directed by Mona Fassfold, and that that was at Sundance and also. I EP'd a film called The Eyes of My Mother that was at Sundance as well. And I, I ask partly because, as our audience knows, Sundance is a, is a tough 
tough odds, long odds to get yes. into Sundance. And that's true for anybody. That's not just true for a random submission from someone who has no contacts. It's, it's always tough. Yes. So when you say you reached out and got the extension and then you submitted, which you never want to do, an unfinished film, not even a finished cut, but this, but you were kind of of a Sundance or bust mindset, considering the stakes. I, I'm trying to paint the picture of how intense that all is, and you're hanging there waiting. You know what? Uh, what was the plan if you didn't get in? I'm we had many plans. We yes. had we had about you know at, uh, at least plans A through J if we didn't get into Sundance because Sundance was such a big swing. And yeah. I honestly don't think any of us really expected to get in, but we also didn't want to wait a full calendar year to submit the movie. So we thought, okay, we can we can send in a cut that might be a little too long, that perhaps some of the pieces are going to move around, but everything we want to show about the movie is in this cut. Sans the finishing, right? We didn't have our... And you believed, again, and, like you all believed that that would speak well enough of what this film could be, that it yes. would carry the day, and it did. We hoped, we hoped. And and the moment we submitted it, we put it out of our minds and just assumed we wouldn't get in um, and began making all the other plans to get us through not only finishing the movie, but knowing that Sundance was had a small percentage chance of actually making it in, what we would be doing if that didn't happen. And again, finishing, when we found out we got into Sundance, of course we were, you know, elated. We were beside ourselves. We couldn't believe that, you know, we, we got in. Um, it was incredible, but it also escalated our need and our urgency to finish the film. And our happily, we had worked out a calendar schedule of, you know, plan A, which was, well, that was part of our planning. If we do get into Sundance, we have to use this post schedule. Um, and if we don't get into Sundance, we can use this post schedule. So we called all of our post partners and said, okay, guys, we're going with plan A. And everyone was so excited and also freaked out. <laughs> we, gotta, <laughs> we gotta move. Did the freaked out plan A, we got into Sundance version, cost more because there no. was a shorter no. timeline? Oh, no. Oh, okay. All of our partners were, you know, they they were really um, in with us, and and you know, if if anything, they they knew that we were taking this really big um, swing with Sundance, and that you know, even if we had to work off hours, or you know, everyone found a way to help us meet the day on the budget that we had. I would also want to call out in, in that post process, there were some real incredible folks who helped steward things along and make that timeline work. First of all, Company 3 and Kath and our colorist and, and that whole team there were incredible in getting this done um, in a timely fashion. And Anna Kelman and Joe Monge and that whole group. Um, but also Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi, who haven't been mentioned enough in, in interviews and press, who are composers and had done the music for um, a film about food waste for CNN films and, and also did uh, The Last Magnificent. This was their first narrative feature that they did the music for and worked with Larry and worked round the clock to create the score for this, which we all love and, and think is so beautiful and really ties the film together in a, in a, in a really incredible way. Um, and, and those guys just went 
like 24 hours a day to get that music done in a couple of weeks. And it was, and, and then they did it again to work with our designers and mixers, Lou Goldstein yeah. and Tom Ryan at parabolic um, here in New York, you know, the whole, the whole team really gave everything they had to make sure that we finished to the highest possible um, level uh, that, that we could. I want to highlight, again, I've done this a couple of times, but I really want to highlight something that I wish I had understood long ago, and I'm, I'm glad to have learned now. Producers, great producers have plans A through J. That should be like sewn on a pillow or something in, a, in an office to be cheesy. But like that's <laughs> such a good soundbite you gave us that like it's, it's so true. Like having a whole idea of, and I want to get to the next stage of that, but that's a, a constantly shifting reality from from the fundraising, right, to the casting, to the this idea we've talked about of puzzles within puzzles, to scheduling, like knowing what you do, if X, then Y, constantly, every time. Um, that's your job, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like politics or something where everything has an equal and opposite reaction, that every action is going to cause something and you have to be ready for what's going to happen and you don't really know what the reaction is going to be each time. And that continues because... You clear this hurdle, this this miracle of you know the big swing lands. You're at sun. The film will be at Sundance, but then what happens? Because what happens to the life of a film after Sundance in in the year in a year as crazy as 2020, when this was like one of the last public things any of us did was when we were seeing Black Bear and other films at Sundance in 2020. What happens in terms of sales? What are the yeah. what are plans A through J uh, that get audiences to see the film? Because as you learn when you go to Sundance, and a lot of our audience doesn't know this, but there's a lot of, there's too much for any one person to see, frankly, and a lot of great stuff. And what gets attention and buzz may not necessarily get deals, may not necessarily, even with a deal, get seen. So as we try, as I try to wrap up, because I've loved this interview and you guys have been great, but this will be my last uh, big question, I guess. Can you tell me about that process? We got really lucky um, because That's we right. had an incredible um, sales team in CAA. Um, Aubrey, Chris, and Sarah are all represented at CAA. I'll never forget the day where we sent CAA the movie to watch. I don't think I've ever felt more nauseous in my life because <laughs> my entire lead cast is with this agency and I was just crossing my fingers that they would think we did right by their their talent. Something about CAA, it's kind of like being at the Death Star for those who don't. Like CAA is an intimidating place. There's an intimidating vibe and energy. It's a big, powerful, uh, it's like it's like the New York Yankees or something. You got to deliver when you show up at CAA, right? Yeah, it was. And it was really <laughs> scary. And And we had, I think, a meeting with them a day or two after they were all going to screen. And the first person we met with um, was Chris Andrews and... This is someone that we owe a debt of gratitude to because not only did he he help us really get through all the negotiations to make sure um, that that we could have this incredible cast on our film, but when we went into his office, he sat us down and he not only talked to us about Black Bear and his thoughts on it and how 
exceptional he thought it was and why, but he took the time to ask us about ourselves and about our company and, and what we were doing next. And he then said, you know, I really think you should meet the sales team downstairs. I want to introduce you to um, Nico Gioni and Marin Olson and, and the team, and I'll walk you down there. And he walked us down there himself. And, and Nick was the first person we met. And we were greeted by a team of people who were smiling and could not believe that this script that was so unusual um, came together in the way that it did. And they said, we would love to help you sell this movie. What can we do? And, you know, we tried to play as cool as we could, I think, you know, know, and we we spoke for a little while and uh, we said we would talk to the rest of the team, but this all sounded great. And we left and, you know, we, we just, we, we couldn't believe that, that they loved the movie so much and that, that they wanted to partner with it. So we, we felt so fortunate that we had this, you know, incredible team going into Sundance and, and we knew that whatever happened, um, we were getting the transparent real deal from our team and that, and that that's the most valuable thing we could have going into this whole process. Mm -hmm. I'll try to contextualize that as well for audiences that CAA, Creative Artist Agencies, is one of the massive agencies in Hollywood, in the world. Um, but knowing that you're going into Sundance with your project that you guys have shepherded for years and cared about and and struggled to make happen, knowing that you have CAA on your side to help you make the deal is like you're you're delivering victory to the team that worked so hard on the project because that's that's like such a strong uh, force to help you cross the finish line. hundred you know? percent. That, that that for you as producers, I'm trying to contextualize the importance of of knowing that it's like you can come back to all the artists and craftspeople who've worked with you and and poured into this project and say like, hey, we have a killer team that's going to help us get this thing to audiences. And that's thrilling. So you got to go to Sundance knowing you have them. That's uh, that's like a the bird in the hand too. That's two in hand. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can. I, Julie painted it so well. And I can't, I can't say anything else about how, how wonderful that felt. And it's to get the like warm embrace of CAA, the closest, cor- <laughs> cor- the cor- closest corollary I can point to would be being like a rock band that comes in and you find out that the record label listened to it. And they're like, we want to put this out and we're going to help you guys get this out there. That, that, yeah. that like scene, the scene from the movies, that's what, you know, Julie and I looked at each other. We hugged after that, I think. And we were both yeah. almost in tears being like, well, we have we have one of the best agencies in the world getting behind this, and we knew that that you know we couldn't guarantee. We had no idea we would eventually, a few months later, have Momentum Pictures and and Universal Pictures Home Entertainment putting this movie out there, and and all these cities and the VOD release. But we knew in that moment that we were going to get this somewhere that wasn't going to be awful. We were going to get it out there, and people were going to see this movie. And it's our first time working with Momentum and E One, and they've been real partners. I mean, I, I've heard so many distribution nightmare stories and I can't, I can't wait to just there are many. get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't wait to get out um, into the world and just sing the praises of that entire team. They've been 
real partners from the beginning. They, you know, have spoke with Lawrence extensively about what he wanted, everything from what he wanted the poster to look like, to the trailer to feel like, um, to the social messaging. And they, you know, they have never had a moment where they've been out of contact or out of step um, with the team that made this film. And and we, we couldn't be, you know, more happy, um, especially in this time, which is just so challenging for our industry and especially independent film distribution um, with the job that they've done for us. Yeah. Well, I am very excited for the movie to be out. I'm excited for everybody to see it. Excited for you guys and for Tandem. And thanks well, so much. This is, for doing this is our pleasure, George. This is awesome. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening, everybody. So I mentioned in the interview at one point, but I did interview Lawrence Michael Levine at Sundance after the movie. And you can find that interview on nofilmschool.com. It's a written piece. It was really fun. We did, we did it in the back of his Uber. Actually, we did part of it in a driveway and part of it in the back of his Uber as we were going from one screening to the next. And it was such a cool experience to have because... You know, we were talking about the movie. We really connected about some of the themes and some of the intentions behind it. And it was just a fun conversation. But the background of experiencing with the filmmaker a little slice of Sundance life as he had his PR person with him trying to get me, trying to get him to this interview, trying to get him to the Q&A he had at the theater across Park City and just being in the Uber and the Uber driver listening in. And then we get there and we're like running through the crowd, kind of wrapping up our interview. And there are people who just got out of the movie, his movie, like talking about it. He was just so uh, taken with like, hey, I'm here. I'm at Sundance. Like, uh, and I got my feature here. And it was a cool experience to have. And of course, I'm just excited as always. You know, you see these movies at Sundance and you're never sure if the rest of the world is going to get a chance to see them. But in the case of Black Bear, it did. They had CAA on their side, as we learned in the podcast, and the movie made it, and it's out in the world. And that's just fun because it's not like other movies, and it's a unique perspective. It's a personal story, and, you know, I'm a fan of seeing stuff like that make its way. So I'd love to know what everybody thinks of the movie. Let us know in the comments on the post. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. Check out all of our other interviews. Go over to nofilmschool.com, read the story, read other stories, read all the stories, and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all that stuff. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>